can also see um, something about the church that we are part of as well. That in the church of our Lord Jesus Christ today, there is still proclamation, and we thank God for that. We thank God that there is still the power of the Spirit of God resident among the people of God, available for the proclamation. There is still in the cor- in certain corners of this world persecution for the cause of Christ. And yes, even as then, so today, there is even problems within the church. And this little epistle of 3 John will help us to see that. This little epistle of 3 John, though, will also help us to see how these problems were addressed. And as I said before, we will have something of a glimpse of what the early church was like. And what I hope to do and what I hope to show you is that the early church, in some sense, is very much like the church today. Now, certainly there are differences. We would, it would be foolish for us to suggest that there is no difference between the early church and the church of today. But in its main lines, and in its main thrust, and still in its task, the task of the church today is the task that it has always had, to make the gospel of Jesus Christ known, to proclaim that gospel, to live that gospel, to experience that gospel. And what we will see in this third epistle of John are these very things taking place. We will see the Apostle John addressing, again, individuals within the church. We will see the Apostle John making mention of the exaltation of the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so again, in all these things, we will have not only a glimpse, but we will also have a picture of what the church today ought to be as well. Well, as I said before, we have these something uh, sometimes these romantic views of the early church. But I think one of the things that we have to say and we have to recognize is this, that we do have a true basis of understanding what the early church was in that day and what it ought to be in this day. When we read through the book of Acts, we find a number of places in the book of Acts where Luke is giving to us these summary statements as to what the early church looked like. And I think one of the most well-known of those statements is taken from Acts, the second chapter. And in Acts chapter 2, we read this, uh, verses 41 through 47. You don't have to turn there because we will be preaching from 3 John today. But we read this in the book of Acts. Then they that gladly received the word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in the breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many signs and wonders were done by the apostles. And so what we see here is something, as I said before, a glimpse of the early church. There was the proclamation of the word of God. There was the gathering together around the doctrinal structure that was beginning to be developed in the early church. There was the breaking of bread. So again, this glimpse of life in the early church. Something, again, I think that we can even still learn from and still even uh, find, uh, again, much by way of help. But as I said before, my purpose is to set before you an exposition of this epistle of uh, Third John. And what I hope to do in the weeks to come is to really unfold this entire epistle. It's a very small epistle, but there are lessons in here that I think are very valuable for us. Not only will we see kind of John's major emphasis as we look at it today, in weeks to come we'll also consider the various personalities that we find in this third epistle. And various personalities are still what the church is made up of today, isn't it? We're going to see the personalities that were there in the first century are in many ways still with us today. And so again, we'll take a look at those things. We'll hopefully we'll learn from these things. And, and hopefully when it's all said and done, we can find a way in which we can better exalt and glorify our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ.
Well, so much for our introduction. Let's take a look then at this third epistle of John. The third epistle of John. The elder unto the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. For I rejoice greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in the truth. Beloved, thou doest faithfully whatsoever thou doest to the brethren and the strangers, which have borne witness of thy charity before the church. Whom, if thou bring forward on their journey after a godly sort, thou shalt do well. Because that for his name's sake they went forth, taking nothing of the Gentiles. We therefore ought to receive such, that we might be fellow helpers to the truth. I wrote unto the church, but Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminent among them, receiveth us not. Wherefore, if I come, I will remember his deeds, which he doeth, prating against us with malicious words, and not content therewith, neither doth he himself receive the brethren, and forbiddeth them that would, and casteth them out of the church. Beloved, follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. He that doeth good is of God, but he that doeth evil has not seen God. Demetrius hath a good report of all men, and of the truth itself. And yea, we also bear record, and ye know that our record is true. I had many things to write, but I will not with ink and pen write unto thee. But I trust I shall shortly see thee, and shall speak face to face. Peace be to thee. Our friends salute thee. Greet the friends by name. Well, here in this little passage of scripture, I think one of the things that we see immediately is that this letter is a very personal letter. It's a letter that is not written like the Epistle of Romans or like the Epistle to the Galatians or like Ephesians or even like the Epistles to the Corinthians. And this letter is a very personal letter written to this man Gaius by the Apostle John. And what John is doing in this letter is essentially one thing. He is commending Gaius on his treatment of the early itinerant preachers that went from place to place carrying the gospel with them. And this man, Gaius, as an elder in the church, was not only receiving these individuals, these itinerant preachers, he was helping them along the way. Now, this was something that was very much part and parcel of early Christian living. That there was in the early church the method of communication of the gospel that didn't take place by post or by newspaper, obviously, or by radio or any of the common means that we have today. In that day, messages went out by way of men proclaiming. Not only did this happen by way of Christian preachers and evangelists preaching, but even philosophers and even those who had, to, who had different schools of thought would send men out proclaiming their message. And so in the first century, we see the church making use of the best available means at their disposal to make a particular message, the message of the gospel known. By way of application, very quickly, we do well to do the same thing in our day, that there is no reason why the church should in any way overlook those means of communication that we have on our disposal. But we want to do more than just talk about that here today. Again, as John is commending this man, Gaius, he is commending him on his treatment of these itinerant preachers. And really, he is, as I said before, commending him and giving him this sense of doing well uh, by way of doing this. 
But what I want to do with this uh, third epistle today is I want to use the idea of truth as something as a controlling theme in the unfolding of this epistle. And the reason why I want to use the word truth is twofold. Number one, the word truth appears about five times in this epistle, truth or true five or six times. But also we see here that those who preached the truth of the gospel, and I believe we see this in verses in verse seven, notice what we see here, because that for his name's sake, they went forth taking nothing of the Gentiles, wherefore we ought to receive such that we might be fellow helpers to the truth. So Gaius was being a fellow helper to the truth. And what we can do with the concept of truth in this epistle of 3 John is we can use it, as I said before, as something of a structural outline to help us to understand what's going on here. So the first thing I want you to understand then by way of truth is, what is truth? Well, this is one of the great questions, is it not? And whenever we talk about truth, one of the things that we very oftentimes come across is essentially this. The truth, by way of a definition or by way of a philosophical understanding of it, truth is usually understood of as that which corresponds to reality. The truth is that which is factual. We would be able to make a true statement today by saying that you and I are gathered together in this church at 1027 a.m. That would be a true statement. But we also understand that there is more than just factuality to truth. Particularly when we take a look at the biblical view of truth. Oftentimes, whenever, the, uh, whenever truth is used in the scripture, it's used in such a way as not only to show that which is factually true, but is also used to show that which is faithfully true in the individual's life. That's why persons can do truth. So the truth isn't just conceptual. Truth is also that which the individual is able to do. And John commends Gaius for doing truth. But even more importantly than that, truth is ultimately bound up in a person, Jesus Christ. We see this over and over again by way of the proclamation of the scripture. Jesus himself said in John chapter 8, again, that you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Now, oftentimes we lift that passage of scripture up from its context and just kind of hold it out. And it is one of those passages in a very real sense that stands on its own. You shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. But what we often forget is that in that eighth chapter, a number of very important things are happening. I think when I think a, 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 a month or so ago when I was here, we preached from John chapter 8, verse 12. Jesus Christ is the light of the world. Well, that eighth chapter, again, you shall know the truth. It's the truth about Jesus as the light of the world. Later on in that same eighth chapter, the Lord Jesus Christ says this, unless you believe that I am, he takes the divine name to himself, unless you believe that I am, you shall die in your sins. And the truth that sets free is the truth of Jesus Christ as the light of the world. The truth of Jesus Christ as God incarnate. And it's that truth that sets free. And so whenever we talk about the truth, and then we're going to come back to this third epistle of John as it revolves around the truth. Whenever we talk about the truth, we are brought face to face with the person of Jesus Christ. So truth is in a very real sense that which corresponds to reality. Since God is the ultimate reality, truth is that which corresponds to the being of God. And since the Lord Jesus Christ is the visible manifestation of the invisible God, there is a sense in which the Lord Jesus Christ is truth incarnate. He is the embodiment of truth. And so again, what we see here is this 
consideration in this presentation of truth. But again, as we work through the passage of Scripture, through this epistle of 3 John, we will see a number of things about truth. Number one, we're going to take a look at that individual who delivered truth. That would be John himself. Secondly, we're going to take a look at that individual who supported truth. And that would be Gaius. And then we're going to see those who propagated truth. That would be those itinerant preachers who we have things to say about. Fourthly, we're going to see that, uh, that, that individual who opposed the truth or who, who hindered the truth. And that's that man, Diotrephes. And then lastly, we're going to see the man, a man who mirrored the truth. And that's going to be that man, Demetrius. And the reason why I'm bringing all these things out is because, I, as I said earlier, I want you to have a glimpse into what the early church looked like. The early church, in a very real way, concerned itself with the truth of the gospel. It concerned itself with the truth of Jesus Christ. It concerned itself with living out that truth. And whatever we see by way of a glimpse into the early church, should not the church of our day do the same thing? Should there not be within the church of Jesus Christ today that which is delivering the truth to us? Should there not be in the church of Jesus Christ today those who support the truth? Should there not be in the church of Jesus Christ today those who propagate the truth? Sadly, there are those in the church today who hinder the truth, will deal with that. And should there not be in the church today those who mirror the truth in the way that they live? You see, all these things, this glimpse into the life of the early church, with all the romantic thoughts that we have about it, but, all with, but also with the understanding of all the problems that were there, it is very helpful for us to look into the early church and make some parallels in our own day. Well, the first thing that I want you to see then here is the truth as it was delivered to the church through the Apostle John. Notice what we have here, just starting out here in, 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 uh, in, uh, in 3 John, and we'll just look at verses uh, 1 through 4. The elder unto the well-beloved guys whom I love in the truth. Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. For I rejoice greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee. Even as thou walkest in the truth, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in the truth. This is a letter from the Apostle John to this man Gaius. And what, we, what we're seeing here is, again, even though it's a very personal letter, it's not a formal letter, it's obviously not a gospel, as John wrote his gospel. It's not even like 1 John, which has given to us more of doctrinal structure to it. It's a personal letter. But yet what I want you to see here, it, this letter still has for Gaius and for ourselves this idea of apostolic authority. And this is the fountain, we might say, or the channel through which Truth comes to the church today. Church, excuse me, truth comes to the church today through apostolic authority. Now we ask the question, where is apostolic authority found? Well, sadly, there are those in our day and throughout the history of the church who thought that apostolic authority was always bound up in an individual person. Overlooking the fact that the apostles were very unique men by way of their gifts and by way of their office. There were certain things that were particular to the, to the apostles as apostles that were not transferred to other men. But we still make the claim that we have apostolic authority. How and why can we say that? How, how can we do that? We have apostolic authority because we have the writings of the apostles themselves. And so it's the word of God that becomes the structure of, uh, of authority within the church. 
It's the word of God being open. And there's a very real sense in which when we see truth being delivered to the church through the writings of the apostles, we still have that authoritative word with us today. And therefore, in that regard, truth comes to us through the written word of God. And that sense, truth is still present in the church of Jesus Christ in the proclamation of that word. And that truth, that authoritative truth centers in a person. And it centers in the person concerning his work for you and for me on the cross. And so what we see here in this first opening uh, kind of introduction into uh, Third John by way of truth, what we're seeing here is that truth still has an authoritative source, and that source is in the Word of God. But we also see some other things about John here that we would do well to make note of. Because in John, not only do we see this, this authoritative apostle, by this time in the history of the church, John is the only apostle that's left. He identifies himself, you saw there in verse 1, as the elder. He is that one, again, who, who in one sense represents the end of an age, and in another sense, everything that's going to flow uh, from, from his time is flowing out from his work. And that's why he's able to say, I have no greater joy than to see my children walking in the truth. Now, again, we know as parents what that means, but think of what that would mean for this apostle. To see the work of Jesus Christ come up to this point and to know that as his days on this earth seem to be coming to a close, there are others who have picked up the cause of the gospel. And he can look forward with hope and say, the gospel will go on. To know that not only is there an authoritative word that has been left behind, but there is also the present active ministry of the Spirit of God to assist in this. As he looks around, he sees men committed in the support of the truth. He sees men committed in the propagation of the truth. He sees men committed by way of having the truth exemplified in their lives. And John sees all this and it gives to him great joy. And so you see, even in the church of that day, in the church of our day, when we see the gospel being taken up, when we see the gospel going out, when we see the gospel uh, opposed and yet still at the same time being preached, how thankful are we for those things? And so again, for those of us, and look around, we're, I was going to say many, most of us, if not all, very few exceptions, are all older here. But what do we want to see as we get older? We want to see the gospel taken up by the hands of, in the hands of the young, don't we? We want to hear the gospel on the lips of the young. We want to see the gospel taken up, and we want to see the gospel go on, go on beyond our age. And let me say this, it will. The Lord Jesus Christ has promised that the church, again, will continue until he comes back. I think of that passage of scripture. This gospel of the kingdom must be preached and then comes the end. You can be assured of this, that the gospel will be preached until the end of the age. No matter what society says about it. No matter what others say about it. No matter what oppression it faces. The truth of the gospel will go forward. And so long as we have the apostolic word in front of us, again, God's truth given to us, delivered through the apostles. So long as the Spirit of God is still filling men and women to proclaim, it will be done. And so we thank God for that. But the other thing that we see here about John, again, it's very commendable about John. We see John fulfilling his apostolic office. And he fulfills it in a number of ways. Number one, he fulfills it by way of this tenderness that he conveys all the way throughout the epistle. I think ten times the word beloved is used. 
It's very interesting to see in the scripture how oftentimes the, uh, the, the apostles embrace this word beloved to speak to those who they are uh, interacting with. Uh, when I was working through the book of James, I think in the book of James, and we wouldn't think this about James, but I think in the book of James, the word beloved is used like 16 times. As a matter of fact, every time James is making an appeal, except for a very few times, he always does it in the, with the sense of beloved. The apostle Paul using it over and over again. Peter uses it as well to, to address those that he is writing to. And so John gives to us this glimpse of apostolic love gives to us this glimpse that should not be absent in our day. That when we think of our brothers and sisters in Christ, it's not just brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so. It's those who we love in the faith. And so again, this glimpse into the early church, giving us a basis and an understanding of what church life should look like today. But John not only expresses, again, as I said before, this, this, this love and this, and this tender attitude toward Gaius, he also prays, and what a prayer that he prays. Again, beloved, he says, Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospers. I hope to, in a coming, in a coming sermon, take a look at this passage of Scripture by itself and to open up before you that blessed truth of soul prosperity, that blessed truth of whatever our outward, whatever our outward state may be, the inward soul can truly prosper. What does that look like? Well, there's a sense in which uh, Gaius is kind of a picture of that. Gaius, this man in whom the truth was and who walked according to truth, there was a man who was truly prospering. But that's for another time. But John is commending him. And again, there is a sense within the apostolic authority and within within the apostolic affection and within the affection and authority that happens within the church as well. When those individuals or those things happen that ought to be commended, well, they should be commended. We shouldn't be reserved in giving commendation when commendation is needed. Beloved, thou doest well. Whatever thou doest for the brethren, he says. But this is not all that John does. You see, John's apostolic authority just didn't kind of revolve around saying nice things about people. And John would not be involved in just throwing around empty platitudes. There were also issues that had to be dealt with. This man, Diotrephes, very interesting character, interesting on a number of bases. And again, in weeks to come, we hope to open up a a sermon concerning uh, this man's life. Diotrephes, again, very, very interesting. Diotrephes, in many ways, still with us today. Here was this man who everything had to revolve around him. Here was this man who had to be the top dog in whatever situation he was in. As John says, he loves to have the preeminence. And so what does John have to do? John not only has to commend Gaius, John also has to censor Diotrephes. And so again, what we're seeing here is what truth in action looked like in the early church. It was addressing those things that needed to be addressed, commending where commendation is necessary, uh, censoring where, where a censor was necessary. But again, all of this, and all of this is under that first point of our heading, the truth delivered. The second thing I want you to see here as we work through this, uh, through this little epistle of, uh, of Third John is not only the truth delivered, I want you to now see the truth supported. And of course, this is what we see in this man Gaius. And this is truly what Gaius was doing. Gaius was that man who supported the truth. Notice what we have here as we read on in verses, uh, in verses uh, 5 and uh, 6. We read the following. Beloved, thou doest faithfully whatsoever thou doest uh, to the brethren and to strangers, which have borne witness of thy charity before the church, 
Whom if thou bring forward on their journey after a godly sort, thou shalt do well. The next thing that we see here in this passage of Scripture of 3 John, we see now a man who is now supporting the truth. John, in one sense, was delivering the truth. Gaius now was supporting the truth. And he supported it in a very wonderful way. And as I said before, we have to understand something about what the itinerant ministry that was taking place in that time and that day was all about. As I said before, men would go from place to place taking the gospel with them. And as they would go from place to place taking the gospel with them, they would come to various churches. And the churches were, again, it was kind of like expected of churches that they would make sure that those who were uh, uh, going through would have either a place to stay, they would have enough to get on their journey. That's what they were to do. There was to be this element or this aspect of hospitality. And hospitality was a very important thing within the early church. And as we take a glimpse into the early church and we pull back the curtain, so to speak, and we see hospitality, should we not see that in our own day as well? This hospitality, again, primarily for those who are engaged in the work of the gospel, but hospitality there nonetheless. And so what we are seeing in guys is this man who supported the truth. You see, the church of our Lord Jesus Christ in that day needed men not only to deliver the truth, like John, they needed men, the church needed men to support the truth, men and women to support the truth. Or you see, it's not like that today though, right? Of course it's not. Of course, you know, of course we need people to support the truth. We need Gaiuses in the church. We need these ones who will be hospitable to those who are doing the work of Christ. We need those who will look out and see where can the love of Christ be manifested in a very tangible way. And this is what Gaius was all about. And again, Gaius did it in such a way. And one of the things that we're going to see about Gaius when we look in weeks to come is that as Gaius's soul prospered, he was a blessing to others. It's one of the marks of soul prosperity. How do you know that your soul is prospering? You're a blessing to those around you. Soul prosperity is not soul miserliness. It's not just holding in the blessings of God for yourself. It's making known far and wide the goodness and the graciousness of God. That's one of the marks of soul prosperity. And so this man Gaius was a blessing to those that he came in contact with. There was a no, no way, shape, or form in which he would hold back that which was needed. And so again, Gaius becomes for us the, uh, the example and the illustration of the, the individual uh, who supported the truth. And as I said before, he was a wonderful man. He really was. He was that, he was that, that beautiful, that fantastic, that wonderful Christian who had both internalized truth, and if I can put it this way, externalized truth. What do you mean? What do I mean? Well, if you notice what John says about him, look what he says here. I believe it's in verse 3. He says, For I rejoice greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in the truth. Truth was in him, and truth was manifest out of him. Here was that man who knew the blessed experience of having right doctrine and was walking according to that right doctrine. It's a wonderful thing to see. And again, Gaius, in doing that, and this is, this is, if I can put it this way, this is the characteristic of those who are involved in supporting the truth. This is the characteristic of those that are involved in being a help to the, go, to the going forth of the gospel. And that's exactly what Gaius was. 
He supported the truth. And as I said, as we take a glimpse of the early church, men who supported the truth, there are still the need, there is still the need today to support the truth in our day. Well, the next group that we see is not only John in delivering truth, not only Gaius in supporting truth. The next point that we see here in this epistle of third John is the truth being propagated or the preaching of the truth. Now, as I said before, this this idea of itinerant preaching in the first century, I think most of us have heard about that. We we get a sense of that when we read the book of Acts. What do we see? We see Paul itinerating. We see Paul going from place to place preaching the gospel. But one of the things that we have to understand is this, is that this, as I said earlier, was probably the primary means of communicating any idea in the ancient world, or one of the primary means of communicating an idea in the ancient world. And what would happen is that uh, you would have philosophers, you would have men of various schools of thought, and they would go from place to place, and they would go to a place of public gathering, and they would speak about how individuals ought to live. They would give, in other words, a philosophy of life. They would give a worldview. And in doing that, there would be times when people would be attracted to what they were saying. And if the individual was making a persuasive argument, if the individual was making a compelling argument, and he would, he would draw a, a gathering around himself, what you would have in the ancient world, in, in, in the cities in the ancient world, is that the wealthy would begin to send their children to be instructed by these traveling intellectuals, we might say. And the idea, again, the picture you see, this was the means and the method of communication. That's how ideas were propagated. And I find it very interesting that the gospel was not like so uh, kind of different that the church said, well, we can't do it that way. I think there's something to be said for the idea that the gospel went forth by any means available. That the gospel went forth by way of personal one-on-one interaction, that the gospel went forth by way of itinerating preachers, that the gospel went forth by way of gathering people together and, and formally proclaiming the word like pretty much like we're doing here today. But the idea is this, the gospel went forth by those means that were available in that day. I really have to say that we should not be ignorant of that that we should make known the gospel in any way. You can use all the creativity that God has given you so long as the message doesn't change. So long as the message isn't in any way shortened or in any way misunderstood. So long as the gospel is preached in its fullness and in its trueness and in its truth, we can make the gospel known in a number of ways and we ought to do that. But again, getting back to these itinerating preachers. They were, they said it's very, very interesting. One of the things that we see is that the, this idea of these itinerant preachers really forms like an undercurrent, if I can, if that's the right word, of much of what we see in the New Testament epistles. What do I mean by that? Well, you remember in Jude, verse 4, when Jude says that there were many who crept in unawares, And they brought in these false doctrines. Well, those who crept in unawares were itinerating false teachers. They went from place to place. And they insinuated themselves among the people of God. There was not sufficient 
doctrinal uh, structure to where their false teaching could be exposed. And they would come in with a message that sounded very much like the gospel itself, but had serious defects to it. In the book of Jude, denying the only Lord God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. How does a man like that get a hearing in the Christian church? It happened. And part of the reason why, as I said before, is this idea that 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 man who would be itinerating in the ancient world, he was able to make a persuasive case. And so here you see, again, when this little epistle of 3 John talks about the truth, truth is vitally important. It becomes the structure through which we maintain the integrity of the gospel. And that's why John said about Gaius, listen, when you're helping these men in their, in, in, in their preaching of the gospel and you're helping them along, you're doing the right thing because these men are preaching truth. Other things that we see, other passages of scripture. Remember in 1 John chapter, I'm sorry, yes, 1 John chapter 4 verse 1. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are of God. What do you think that's a reference to? That's a reference to itinerant preachers who would be going from place to place. Itinerant preachers who sometimes would be bringing in a message that sounded kind of right, but really wasn't right. And so John says, test the spirits. Why do you think John says in 2 John chapter 7, I 2 John verse 7 and 2 John verse 10, that passage of scripture that we're familiar with, receive them not into your house, neither bid them Godspeed. Because they were itinerating preachers who were preaching a false message. Why do you think John says, if any man comes to you and says that Jesus Christ is not coming in the flesh, receive him not into your house, itinerating preachers. And so what we see here is this whole idea of itinerating preachers. When there was the truth of the gospel being proclaimed, John was saying to guys, hey, come on, do your work here. When you come across those who are not preaching the truth, send them on their way. And make sure that those who, to whom they're going know that these ones are not preaching the truth of the gospel. So again, you see the importance of the truth here. You see the importance of delivering the truth through the apostle. You see the importance of supporting the truth through, through God. You see the importance of, of propagating the truth uh, through these individual uh, 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 Christian uh, ministers, these itinerant preachers. But the fourth thing that we see is, is an individual who hindered the truth. And this is that man, Diotrephes. Kind of an interesting character. And the reason why he's interesting isn't because of his, uh, isn't because of his personality uh, blemishes. Uh, the guy was probably, the, I almost hate to say it, Diotrephes is a guy who we can all probably very quickly recognize and have all probably in some point in time experienced and maybe have had to struggle ourselves with elements of Diotrephes' character. But Diotrephes is, is just this, 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 this individual who just hinders the truth. Listen to what we see here concerning Diotrephes, verses 9 and 10. I wrote unto the church, but Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receives us not. Wherefore, if I come, I will remember his deeds, which he doeth, prating against us with malicious words, and not content therewith, neither doth he himself receive the brethren, and, for, brethren, and forbiddeth that, them that would, and casteth them out of the church. Now, what's very strange is this. Here was this man, Diotrephes, 
And by way of a, of, a, of, a, of a real defect in his personality, and not just a personality quirk, let me, let me explain something. When we come to faith in Christ, oftentimes we bring all of the shortcomings of our personality. It's the purpose of God in sanctification to kind of work on those things and kind of you know pour in Christian graces to make up for those things. Many of us don't make as much progress with that as we should throughout our Christian life. Many of us struggle throughout the, the length of our, of our Christian lives. Now, again, I'm not in any way trying to lower the bar here. Uh, again, the, 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 the bar, in one sense, is always conformity to the person of Christ. But there's a sense in which the atrophies is not even that. The atrophies is a man who doesn't have this, like, this, this character flaw only. He has this besetting sin that acts as a true hindrance to the truth of the gospel. And the besetting sin is essentially this. Here is a man who loves to have the preeminence. Here is a man who has to be the top dog in every situation. Here is a man who is overbearing. Here is a man who, because of his overbearingness, is inhospitable. Again, the very, contrary to the very thing that an elder is supposed to be. So this man, the atrophies, what he is doing, not now by way of doctrinal defection, and this is important, because if you notice in 3 John, what you don't see is what you see in 1 and 2 John. In 1 and 2 John, doctrinal truths are being given. And John gives to us a description of Antichrist. He that confesses that Jesus Christ has not come in the flesh. Many Antichrists are, are, are entered in, 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 into the world, uh, John says. But John doesn't refer to Diotrephes as an Antichrist. And what seems to be the issue here isn't so much Diotrephes' doctrinal position, which may have been fairly orthodox, what seems to be the case is Diotrephes' personal sin of this love for preeminence. And what I want you to see is this, that our personal sins can sometimes hinder the truth of God in the church. Diotrephes, rather than encouraging the work of the gospel going on, had set himself up in one sense as, as, as this ultimate authority within the church, even speaking against John. How does that happen? How does a man speak against the only remaining apostle that's living? And so what you see is the atrophies in this self-inflated view of himself actually becoming a hindrance to the truth of the gospel in the church of that day. I said we were having a glimpse of the early church and about problems in the early church. Isn't it amazing that these things still happen in the church today? Now hear me out. Hear me out. And again, I want to be careful here. I think it's probably an exception if none of us have ever ran into a Diotrephes type personality. But one of the things that we have to be concerned with is this. There were a number of elements that made up Diotrephes' personality. Not only did he always seek the preeminence. The man was inhospitable. The man was judgmental. The man, again, like I said before, was when it was all said and done, was, was prohibiting the furtherance of the gospel. And while none of us, hopefully, exemplify every one of those character traits of Diotrephes, are there elements of Diotrephes' character that we have to be very careful that we don't manifest in our own lives? Is there a sense in which everything's got to come through me? 
Is there a sense, well, you know, that guy really don't know what he's talking about, you know. You want to get it straight, you come and listen to me. Is there this sense of, uh, what, are you, what, are you, what are you helping that guy out for? He's, he's not somebody who should be helped out. All these things, all these elements of Diotrephes' personality, while they kind of cluster in this one man, can still be broken up and examined. And we ask ourselves, are we hindering the truth of the gospel in our local setting because of some character fault, some personality, whatever, some sin that is not being overcome and cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ? You see, here we are in the church of Jesus Christ. And in the church of Jesus Christ, what is to happen? Yes, we, we embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yes, we want to proclaim the gospel. Yes, we want to assist the truth. But in the church of Jesus Christ, there must be an ongoing work of sanctification. The word of God applied by the spirit of God. The word of God prayerfully poured over. The word of God being used as a standard. So we, like guys, can say, we know the truth. And now we have that blessed experience of living up to the truth. You know, people today talk about living authentic lives. You want to know what an authentic life is? An authentic life is you living up to the truth that you have. That's authentic living. That's a life of integrity. And that's what we see in guys. And we have to ask, we have to evaluate ourselves along these lines. And so again, may God give us grace as we take a look in this glimpse into the early church. What do we see here? Here was this man, Gaius, who hindered the truth. Now, as I said before, I find it very interesting that John does not expose a doctrinal error within Diotrephes' kind of makeup, whatever he's doing. Diotrephes is not that guy, excuse me, whose doctrine automatically excludes him from the fellowship of Christ. He seems to be a man that doesn't have doctrinal deviation. But his personal life, his personal characteristics are an absolute hindrance to the truth in the church. A lot of lessons there, aren't there? We're going to take a look at diatrophies too. A whole lot more can be said about diatrophies. But I just want you to see today, Diotrephes is that man who is hindering the truth. May by the grace of God, we not be those persons who are hindering the truth. But there's one more person that we see here in this, uh, in this little epistle of 3 John. And that's that very commendable man, uh, Demetrius. And Demetrius, again, if we, if we have a man who, who delivered to us the truth, the Apostle John... If we had a man who supported the truth, Gaius, if we, had a, if we had individuals who propagated the truth, the itinerant preachers, if we had a man who opposed the truth or hindered the truth, uh, excuse me, Demetrius, well, we have a man who modeled the truth. And that man was Demetrius. And in the context of the letter, Demetrius was probably the individual who delivered the letter. And so what John says to Gaius about Demetrius is found in verse 12. And, and, and notice what he says here in verse 12. We can start with verse 11. Because in one sense, verse 11 may be the most direct point of teaching in, the, in this little epistle. And it's this, Beloved, follow, that, follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. He that doeth good is of God, but he that doeth evil is not seeing God. That's probably the one primary point of teaching, along with this idea of commending him for you know, helping out in the propagation of the gospel. But now he says this, <clears throat> Demetrius, hath a good report of all men and of the truth itself. 
And yea, we also bear record, and ye know that our record is true. What are we seeing here in Demetrius? Demetrius was a man who modeled the church, who, who modeled the church, excuse me, who modeled the truth. Demetrius is that man who John was using to send this letter to Gaius. And John is able to say about this man, Demetrius, listen, Gaius, this man who is putting this letter into your hand, he has a threefold witness. Number one, he has a witness by all those who are around him that he's a good man. Number two, he has a witness of the scriptures that he's a good man. Now, that's an interesting thing. John says the truth itself is a witness to Demetrius. Stop and think of what that must mean. To live a life of Christian integrity to the point to where the gospel itself witnesses to our character. In this way, what do we see here? We see truth as a, as a, as a character witness. Of course, even as we had to ask ourselves about Demetrius in our own life, excuse me, about Diotrephes in our own life, we ask ourselves about Demetrius in our own life. What does the truth witness about you? What does the truth witness about me? Could John say of us what he says about Demetrius? You go around, man's got a good witness. Look at the word of God. The word of God witnesses to him. And then John says, and I witness to him as well. And so what John is doing, again, for Gaius, he is, again, validating this, this epistle. He's validating this letter. But he's also given to us an individual who models the truth. So all these things we've seen in this little epistle of Third John, again, all revolving around the truth. And what I want you to see primarily is this, and I purposely didn't emphasize this point until right now. Because as I said in my opening, as I tried to kind of get to Third John, but as I said in, in my opening, that there is a sense in which that those seventh and eighth verses really form the center of the ideas of what's happening there. There were individuals who were proclaiming the truth of the gospel, and in Gaius' helping them out, he was a fellow helper in the truth the truth of the gospel. But notice how John puts it. It's phenomenal. Notice how John puts it. It is in verse... Um, we'll start here in verse, uh, in verse 7. Because that for his name's sake they went forth taking nothing of the Gentiles. Because that for his name's sake they went forth. I think if you have the ESV, it says, because for the name's sake they went forth. Now, I think that's phenomenal. Why? Because everything that we've said about truth and everything that we've said about a glimpse into the life of the early church all revolves around that wonderful idea for the sake of the name. And the emphasis here is on the reverent attitude toward the person of Jesus Christ. That term, the name, look it up in Scripture. See how many times that phrase is used to reference God himself. The unutterable name. And that terminology is now given to Jesus Christ. And these men who went about propagating the truth, that man who delivered the truth, that man who supported the truth, that man who exemplified the truth, did it all for the sake of the name. And that glimpse that we have in the early church is the same that's to be seen in the church today. That everything you and I do is to be for the sake of the name. 
That all that happens inside this walls of this, of this church is be the sake, for the sake of the name. That all that happens by way of our interaction with the world outside is to be for the sake of the name. You see, here is in this little epistle the exaltation of Jesus Christ. Isn't it a wonderful thing to see? Isn't it wonderful to see that even in the very mentioning of what's going on, almost in a nonchalant way, there is this emphasizing of the sacredness of the name of Jesus Christ and the reverence that the church gives to him. Thank God that in our glimpse of the early church, we can still see things that direct us in our lives today. May the word of God always be delivered in truth. May there be those who support the truth. Maybe, maybe, may there be those who propagate the truth. If we ever start hindering the truth, God give us grace. But may there also be those who exemplify the truth in their lives and in their conduct. My brothers and sisters, this little epistle of 3 John, there's much more in it. Let's pray that in the coming weeks, God will unfold the truth. God will give us very important lessons. And when it's all said and done, that this will all lead us to that one place where we do everything for the sake of the name. Let's pray. Our Father, we do thank you for this little epistle. We thank you for the reality of truth. We thank you, Lord God, that you have not given to us foolish thoughts that say things like, well, there is no such thing as truth. But we thank you, Father, that not only do we see that truth is that which corresponds to reality, to the ultimate reality of who you are, but truth is personified and embodied in the person of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. How glad we are to know that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And we thank you, Father, that we now participate in that truth. Give us grace, Father, whether it's in declaring or delivering the truth, whether it's in supporting the truth, whether it's in propagating the truth, whether it's in living out the truth. Give us grace, Lord God, to do it in such a way as to bring honor and glory to the name of the one who you delight to del- who you delight to give honor to father and that name is the name of your son the lord jesus christ in whose name we pray amen